Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Ochlin, and I'm your host and here is another episode. Today, our guest is Faith Alicia, and she is going to talk about her nine-year journey through her eating disorder and how she struggled several times to get help and finally found what worked for her and helped her through that process of dealing with not only her eating disorder, but her anxiety and depression and her own family history of addiction and family dysfunction. Faith really lays it all out there and just shares her story honestly in a deep, meaningful way and really provides a lot of hope that even when you feel at your worst, even when you feel like you can't go on, that there's hope out there. And so I really enjoyed talking with Faith and hearing her story. And I hope you enjoy her story and get a lot out of her story as well. With that, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Addicted Mind. My guest today is Faith Alicia, and she is going to talk about her journey through eating disorders and finding healing in that. And Faith, why don't you just jump in and start to share your story? Well, thank you for having me here. I feel blessed to be here. My story is, you know, come from an addictive household. So I'm a child of an alcoholic. I also have one, there's five girls total. I'm the youngest. So I have one sister who found recovery in Narcotics Anonymous and another one who found recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I was very familiar with, you know, just the behaviors of addiction growing up, but I wasn't aware that there was addiction in our house because, you know, the shame and you 
our house, you know, we have to, my parents owned a business. So everything, everything has to stay within the walls. Right. And not only that, but everything has to stay between them. And me being the youngest, it was protect, you know, well, don't. So I just thought, I honestly believed that all dads yelled and I was scared of all fathers. I just thought they were mean. Wow. Where, I mean, if I would be invited to a friend's house, I'd be like, is your dad home? Because I just generalized it that all dads were mean. And, you know, my dad had found recovery and then was in a relapse for a while. And he only, so he was on a dry drunk during the week and could drink on Saturday when my mom wasn't around. But the behavior was there. And when I was 16 is when I saw him drunk for the first time. And that's when I found out. And he threw like a metal chair and my sister and I was hiding under a table. So my mom basically gave him a, you know, you either go get help this time, like we're done or I am done. Right. Right. And I was so excited. So he sat me down the next morning. I remember it. We sat on the patio in the lounge chairs and he's like, I'm going to go away for 28 days. And in my mind, I was like, woohoo, like, don't come back. I was so happy. Like, whatever your issue is, that's great. Just please don't come back. Because for 28 days, like no screaming in the house. So he did go away. And when he came back, he stayed in AA, stayed, remained sober for 30 something years until he passed away three years ago. Wow. So I had seen my sister was, was a mess with the drugs. So I was very afraid of drugs and alcohol. But, you know, what's interesting is that impulsive, compulsive behavior, you know, it, it just can come out in other forms. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I I think like what you're describing can happen for a lot of people where you have this household and in the walls, there's kind of this chaos going on. And as a child, you just, you can pick that up because it's just, it's nonverbal. It's, it's, it flows, the energy flows through it. Yet on the outside, there's this, you know, kind of picture perfect look and they don't, they don't match. You know, it's like the, typical characteristics of an adult child, like not being seen, not being heard. Just, I was just there pretty much. I had a close relationship with my mom. So codependency became a very big issue. Right. Very big. And after I had my third child, there's a lot that happened in between with anxiety and panic and agoraphobia. It really, you know, I was always in fight or flight. And back in that time in the 80s, there really wasn't an understanding of anxiety disorders. So in my mind, I feared, oh my God, I'm going crazy. I can't tell anyone because they will lock me up in a psychiatric ward because it wasn't talked about like now. So I was petrified. I had feelings like unreality, which is part of panic attacks. And in my heart, it was petrifying. I had school phobia. I wouldn't go to school. Yeah, and it's it's just hard to function, and you, yeah, it feels like you're going crazy, and you can't you can't do anything. And but meanwhile, there's this picture, you know, like you said earlier, this kind of picture on the outside that everything's okay, but the inside is like in chaos. But we can't say anything to anybody because that's and I think that's a no-go. the chaos was within myself, right? Just you know, it 
the outside world gave me identity because I didn't, you know, that little child within me didn't feel that I was worthy to be heard, to be seen because I wasn't in my house. I was a bother. I was the fifth, you know, of five. They dealt with the other girls and all their issues. I was the good child. So I got the perfect grades. And, you know, so I never had a curfew because I never got in trouble. So I was, you know, I was the perfect child. This way I don't get yelled at, stay under the radar, you know, hide in my bedroom when dad comes home and just do your thing until you go to college. It's a lot of work to be the perfect child. Oh, yes, it is. And a perfect adult, which I know today there is no perfect. Right. But at the time, (laughs) yeah, it's hard to, to be able to allow that in if that's never been safe to allow imperfection in if that's never been safe. You know, the perfection, and I don't even think it's like, I have to be perfect. It's more, you know, that behavior of, if I do this and do it really well, you're going to like me, you're going to accept me, you're not going to reject me or abandon me. Because I really was emotionally abandoned by my father. I mean, it wasn't until his later years when he was in AA, where he wanted to have these relationships, but I was scarred and I worked hard to have complete, you know, love for him. You know, I, I worked the 12 steps and we had a good relationship before he passed, you know, no anger. It was just a a place of unconditional love for him. And he was a really good person. And he just, he he was, my dad had such a beautiful heart. He was sick. Addiction is a disease. It's a sickness. Yeah. And I saw my dad's sickness, but that wasn't who my dad was. But that's what I created in my mind that my dad was. Later, I learned he wasn't that. That was a part of him that, you know, thank God through AA and everything, he was able to turn his life around. But But those messages are in there. Yeah, yes. those messages are definitely in there. And I was going to say, that's a huge process of being able to kind of move through that and start to feel safe enough in yourself to be able to see the other as their own own person, their own identity, especially a, a parent that can be really challenging. So I'm, I'm watching that process as, as you're talking and, and thinking like, okay, there's a journey here that you went through to be able to get to that spot where you could see your father as a human being with his own flaws and, and disease and, and that there, he's, he's more than one part. And that was hard for me to accept because I think my identity was, well, I'm just an anxious person. I'm faith. I'm the anxious person. And then I'm faith. I'm the anxious person who is anorexic. This is who I am. That's not who I am. I'm so much more, but I didn't believe that. Because this was my coping, buying and returning everything outside of myself, because I can't control anything outside of myself, so that not focusing within, because inside it really was just empty. Right. And please love me, please love me and fill me. But these things couldn't. So it's trying and trying acceptance, but it doesn't come from outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's and that's, not that's, easy that's a to, hard journey oh, to, to begin to understand that. 
and, and to see that and, and to see that we have to do this inside of us, it can be uh, pretty overwhelming and pretty scary, especially if we don't know how to do it. It's It's been a process. Definitely. So tell me a little bit about how for you, food became this way of, of coping and dealing with this internal chaos. So after my third pregnancy, which I had three preemies and the third one. So I was on bed rest for most of the pregnancy. And after I had postpartum with all three. So after my third one, and I had to have shots like most of the pregnancy just to keep the baby in. So I had a huge hormonal just drop after. And I think it was the worst postpartum than the first two. So with the depression came anxiety and now I'm not leaving the house again. Right. And right, during yeah. the pregnancy, that was another issue. You can't be on medication for the anxiety. Oh boy. I just have had so much fun. And <laughs> I, the doctor I, I just like imagine she's it overwhelming it was, and, and, and really, it's really difficult. Just it's sad. I mean, the doctor would have to put me first in the morning or last because I was too anxious to sit in the waiting room with other patients. I had to be the only one there. It was not living. That was surviving. Let's just get through the day. I, I just have to survive this day and oh, okay, and go to sleep and oh, okay, just have a break. Right. And I just came to a point of not wanting, I want to live. Like this is my one shot. I want to live. I'm tired of just surviving. So I went to a psychiatrist who specialized in anxiety disorder and helped with the postpartum. So he put me on medication. I couldn't even drive there. My husband had to drive there. So he had to like block off sections of work to get me. The doctor was an hour away. And wow, what started happening, you know, I manage my husband's business as well. So, you know, when the baby's napping, you're supposed to nap. Well, no, because I have to do office work. Plus, I had two older kids because we had an eight-year gap between kids, right. you know, between the first two and number three. So I have to deal with them because they're now older with their homework and everything else. So for me, it was just eat in between. Right. It really goes back then to the codependency. You are all more important than me. I'll just eat to get by, but you are all more important. Right. Because so not everyone, even knowing how to practice any kind of nothing self-care, even small moments in that time period. It's just like nothing giving to everyone else. Everyone else's happiness in this house. If you're okay, I'm okay. Right. Which is codependency. So what started happening is I don't like to talk behaviors, but I my weight was I mean, I've always been a small person. So I did start to gain weight and I called my obstetrician because it was a little concerning to me. Like, why? What's happening? I had just turned 40. And she said, oh, well, you're 40 now. So your metabolism, everything changes. I'm like, what? All of a sudden? No, no, right. no, no. So I started to restrict certain things. And this really, it just shows you the insidiousness to me, my eating disorder is like an addiction. Just coming from a family of addiction, I just view it the same way. So the sneakiness, the manipulative, boom, like that eating disorder got me and was like, we're going on a journey, lady. Like I'm taking you down. Wow. And with, I didn't even know 
like it, it becomes all consuming, weighing myself all day. It, it really took over. And in my mind, I would say, well, if I get to this point on a scale, well, then maybe I need help. Well, you know, that point keeps going lower. Right. And finally, I said, well, if it gets to that point, well, then I really have a problem. In the meantime, my husband took me to that psychiatrist and he said, you know what? I think that your anxiety disorder has morphed into an eating disorder and I don't treat those. So I'm going to have to release you as a patient and you need to seek help from someone that specializes in eating disorders. So when someone who fears rejection and abandonment is now like thrown away by my psychiatrist who I'm paying to help me. Right. Okay. Well, now what? You don't even accept me. I needed help. He, He saved my life. I mean, he saved my life because that was my bottom. It's like, I called my mom and I'm like, you know what, mom, I need help. He he sent me to another psychiatrist who specialized and the man was awful. I just, I'm like, you know what, the, it's not going to work. I was also seeing a therapist three times a week at that time because I was in such a bad mental place. And at the time, the happiness project and like that was like the whole big rave right, at the time. Right, right, so yeah. she's like, we're happy, blah, blah, blah. That's happy for you. But I'm on home on a scale, like nonstop, and we're not addressing this because she didn't understand eating disorders, which is why it's very important for someone who thinks they have an eating disorder, who has an eating disorder, to seek help from someone who specializes in it. Who really understands it. Who really understands it. And the nuances of it and can see it. And yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's its own little beast. So my mom, actually, I don't believe in coincidences, had bumped into a woman. I don't know where she bumped into her. And the woman was a therapist. So my mom just happened to ask her something about eating disorders. Guess what? She was a therapist at an eating disorder program. Wow. Uh, There's no coincidences. So So I went that Friday for intake and Monday I started PHP, which is partial hospitalization. Right. So I really getting a to, lot of support, getting a lot of support. Uh, you know what? At that point, I couldn't do it on my own. Yeah. And the interesting thing is being, you know, an addictive type personality that is very sneaky, I got through treatment. I did learn some skills, but, you know, without addressing the real internal what's, you know, those that emptiness. Yeah. As soon as I got out of treatment, hello, we're back. Hello, eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Because I'm just sitting in treatment and fine, we can discuss the situational stresses. But it's not the situational stress. It's how I look at it. It's taking care of myself. It's all these things that I learned later. So my first treatment was not a success. And it's okay. Because during that time- Sometimes that's what- we have to go through is yeah sometimes that's what we have to go through as part of the journey you know and it's like you may not be in the right space it may not be the right kind of treatment it may not fit and go try again exactly so while i was in treatment you know they gave us reading and the books we had to read you know one was by someone who had recovered 
from her eating disorder, and then others were professionals. And then the four agreements, which is like my Bible for life. I just love the four agreements. That's a great book. Oh, I love the four agreements. So I started doing art therapy in treatment. And what I believe for me, there are different views and you know whatever works. No two eating disorders are the same. No two recoveries are the same. For me, coming from a family of addiction, for me, this is a process. It's a journey. I'm in recovery one day at a time. If there's no finish line, like, woohoo, I'm recovered, I'm out. No. This is an ongoing lifestyle This is process. a journey of self-awareness, self-discovery, retraining my thoughts, filling that void that was always inside with self-care, which we can get into. So that's where my workbook, Do You See What I See? It came about nine years ago. And that's where it started. And then I just, it was my drawings of my little self and what I was going through. But then I wanted to turn it into something that here's prompts for the reader because we're not alone. And when I was in my eating disorder, I really felt alone. And even in my anxiety, nobody understands. Like, honestly, nobody feels this bad. Nobody can have this much anxiety. I'm like the special one. Right. I'm that right. 1%. Like when they do research, I'm I'm that 1% that you can't fix. Yeah. And, and I did so believe that. So many people believe, like, I, I, I must be unique. I must have unique pain. I, I'm un. I'm unhealable. I'm unredeemable. I'm I'm so broken that no one can help me. I'm unhelpable. That's a, a sad place to be. It is. It's and a it's a place of place helplessness. And I don't want that anymore. So, you know, the journey went on and my daughter was getting ready to this is now years later. My daughter was getting ready to graduate high school and developed an eating disorder. I was like, oh man. And here, you know, I went to support groups once a week for eating disorders. I was seeing a nutritionist. I had a therapist. And then, so there's self-blame with that. Well, now look what I did. Now I gave it to my daughter. Right. That was a right. whole other issue. The guilt. Yeah. The guilt. And then is, once yeah. again, well, there's always guilt. <laughs> and my daughter was leaving for college. So once again, faith is on the back burner because my eating disorder was kicking up because I have two boys and a girl. My girl's leaving. Yeah. So my eating disorder, like, oh my God, she's leaving. Like uh, the whole empty nest again. But I have to take care of her because I, I told her like, I'm not sending her away if with an yeah. active eating disorder. Not happening. Yeah. And she's like, well, I could lie. Yes, you could lie. But- you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting me. You're hurting yourself. So I did get her help and she still has, like, she's okay. That's you know, she she That's has good. her supports. I have my supports. And the weekend we moved her into college and the next week I went back to treatment the second time. Ah, so you kind of, at this point knew you needed help and needed support. And I just couldn't do it again. Yeah. It's just, how long can you just survive like this? And and feel this bad. Yeah. I just, I was tired, always tired. Yeah. But prior to going into treatment, I I started going to Codependency Anonymous. And 
it's a, I love my girls. It's a group of like five of us. It's, I mean, these are my rocks. I love them. So when I went to treatment, I missed my CODA girls because, you know, that first meeting, oh my God, they understand every single thing. There's no judgment. There's full acceptance. I'm not alone. What? Oh my God. And I have been to ACOA and I've been to AA meetings with my dad. And there is a, the feeling of fellowship in 12 step groups is wonderful. In CODA, I found my home. So when I went to treatment the second time, my therapist assigned to me happens to be in CODA also. Again, no coincidences. And I told her, I'm like, I really, if they could let me leave early one on my Tuesdays, because I, I want to go to my CODA. Like, I didn't want to lose that with my girls. Right, yeah. So she actually worked it out that I could. But once again, I was, my eating disorder, I, I look at it kind of like it possessed me. It's, 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 I think that's it's a, like fair, a demon. Fair, fair word it, to say. I it think did that's, possess that... me. And so I did what I was supposed to do in treatment with one foot in and one foot out. Yeah. And I think that's a common, uh, you know, as people get into this treatment for, for whatever reason, addiction, eating disorders, there is this like slow, sometimes can be the slow surrender to it. And it's like, we, you know, do a little bit of both. We're not hundred percent over here. We're, we're not hundred percent over here. And, and we try and wade this weird middle ground that just usually doesn't work. I think what it came down to, it was skills. Like I never learned healthy coping skills growing up. And even through treatment twice, I shouldn't put this out there because treatment was helpful for me. It got me to like a yeah. healthy weight. So mm-hmm. it was it was that stepping stone of the kind of kick in the rear to push forward. And yeah. the second time really was that impetus was like, you know what? We're we're gonna do this. So I actually lost weight in treatment. Don't know how, because I was doing what they said, but my husband was getting upset. Like my therapist was getting upset. I'm like, listen, people, I'm there. They're giving me the stuff. I can't hide it because they're watching me. Right, right, yeah. So once again, I just felt, yes, my, I call them safe foods, which are foods my eating disorder says, okay, you're allowed to eat these. It did grow bigger while I was in treatment. So I will definitely give credit for that. When I I decided again to leave treatment, I think I was there for five or six weeks. And again, it was partial. And then it was, you know, IOP, the intensive outpatient hospitalization. So then I could go to my CODA. And again, no coincidence, I was doing something online and it came up, you know, the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Uh, Well, I've tried everything else. Why not try this? And it happened to be online. Okay, well, I could do that. I'm very, like, if I set my mind to something, I'll do it. So it was the full course that a psychologist was doing online free because he wanted people who lived in rural areas or whatever to have access to the beauty of mindfulness. Right, right, yeah. So I, I really threw myself into it. I did the homework every day. I watched the videos. And after, you know, the first four weeks is kind of like the outside. And then it's really like working on the thoughts and all that. And that's where the shift started. 
Wow. With that. So really starting to incorporate that mindfulness practice that in and of itself really started to make that shift. It sounds like these other things were helpful in ways. Maybe they set you up to be able to do this mindfulness, but that mindfulness practice started to have that, like you said earlier, that internal paradigm starts to change. Well, it's giving me now tools to live by because that's what I was missing. We could do all the therapy in the world. Mm-hmm. But teach me something, like give me something. That's great. I got self-awareness and I'm feeling angry or sad or whatever. Okay, now what? What do I do with all this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like crap. So I think I'll buy something and return it. Now I feel better or let's engage in eating disorder. Okay, now I don't have to think about feeling sad. No tools. And they do speak a lot about self-compassion in the mindfulness program. So from that, literally ended, and I did the eight-week Mindful Self-Compassion, the Kristen Neff program. Oh, yeah. I love Kristen Neff stuff. Again, the mindfulness was, it's like the foundation, and then the self-compassion, you know, kind of built in. A lot of those tools for me were kind of like, I can't say like, Faith, I love you, like, but I had to make it in my own way. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. It's making it your own way. So I, the most of the tools in the book are the things, things that worked, things that didn't work because it is a journey. And from the eight week class, then I did an eight week or six week mind, like a happiness mindfulness class. And I just was jumping because I I was starting to see change. Right. And I was afraid if I stopped, like, I didn't want to regress. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You, you, you really started to see the hope like the like this is actually working and i'm going to keep doing it and i you know i hear that change a lot when people are in struggles you know with mental health or anxiety or depression and they finally stumble into the thing that works for them it's like you know hold on to it go go into i'm not going to let go of that i see the possibility of change i can feel the possibility of change And especially with anxiety. Now, am I going to say I don't have anxiety? No, I'm not going to lie. I'm filled with anxiety. However, I have coping skills now. Okay, here's a perfect example. So my 13-year-old, I was driving him to school this morning, and he has a science teacher that is brutal, negative, like it's her last year teaching. This lady's just ready to retire. All I hear about is how much he hates the science teacher, how stressed he is, and blah, 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 just misery. So I'm like, this morning, let's look at it in a different way. How about, because you're giving her power over you. I'm not giving her power. You really are, because if you're spending this much time thinking about her and how miserable she makes you feel, you're giving her a lot of power over you. So maybe when you go in and she doesn't smile, because she doesn't, how sad that this lady is like not even smiling and picking on 13-year-olds and calling them names. That's not very nice. Like put, observe her behavior because it's not nice, but separate yourself from it. And if she says something nasty to you in your mind, be like, okay, crazy lady or whatever, because we're not supposed to make judgments, but whatever helps you, that it's not about you. This lady's doing her thing. You don't know what's going on in her home, in her mind, in her life. 
So just pull back and just observe because it's not about you. Right. Yeah. And that's the shift that has happened with my life. It's not always about me. It always was about me. Not anymore. Right. Let's, let's talk about a little bit about the title of your book, because I was curious as to why you chose that title and then how that doing that and doing the artwork in it and the journaling, how this all kind of ties together for you on this healing journey. Because I have a suspicion that, you know, that mindfulness part helps with that journaling part and they help each other. And so I'm curious to to know. So first, like the title of your book. It's okay. So the title is, Do You See What I See? And on the cover is a drawing I made. So it's me looking in a mirror and my reflection in the mirror is not, it's not what I see. Right. And this goes so much deeper than that because when I looked in the mirror, I didn't know what I saw because it was all external and just judging and criticizing. And that's just not okay. It is not okay to treat myself like that. And, you know, going through the book and this, that whole perfectionism, I've relapsed. If you want to call it a relapse, I call it falling down. And guess what? It's okay. And I'm still here because I get up again. This is not perfect. It's hard. It's messy. The eating disorder voice comes in. I recognize it today. And when it comes in now, we stop. I have my little process. Okay, what's going on? I have to check it. Because when the eating disorder voice is trying to distract me, it's from some feeling or a situation that I don't want to deal with. Yeah. So my therapist, her words are always, dig deeper, Faith. And I told her, I used to hate it. Stop telling <laughs> me to dig deeper. But it, she has like brainwashed me that it, it's always, you'll see like in anything I write or say, it's always dig deeper. And I actually say it to myself, okay, Faith, dig deeper. What's really going on? Right. Because there's, and sometimes then I'll get to it and be like, go a little lower because there's more there. It's like your eating disorder is almost an ally in your life. When, when, when it starts to come up, it's, it's a warning to you that something needs to be taken care of that you might be missing. It is a warning. And I think how I viewed it before, and I I didn't understand it was like to protect me because I didn't want to feel those feelings. I didn't want to deal with all that stuff. So this is protecting me from it, but it's not, it's making me sick. And then, so self-care is where this all comes in. So it's the mindfulness, meditating. You know, I meditate for me, you know, I do work the 12 steps in codependency anonymous. So it was, and I know that, you know, it's, rough territory with some people with higher power. So I don't call it whatever you want. For me, it's an energy, a light, and I have to tune into that and really let that fill me because that's who I am. That's who I am. It's that beauty, that light within surpasses all this nonsense and drama and everything else. And when I can just be in touch with that, then I can put those four agreements like, um, it's not about me. Let's not take it personally. We're right. going to judge. Don't assume and just do my best. 
like yep. four things that are so hard to live by, but I'll check in myself. Faith, you're judging. Like, why are you judging? Did this person hurt you and threaten your security of abandonment? It always comes back to some insecurity or false core belief that I still have. They're still there. Yeah. I just have to try well, to keep those filling things, them. You know, they, they were, they were uh, written down in very fundamental parts of brain development, primal parts of brain development, that they tend to like want to stick around and stay with us. But like you said, with mindfulness and skills, they don't, they don't have to drive the bus. I love that. I have a sheet here that my therapist gave me. So it's reminding me what you're saying. So it's a bus. So I have Faith driving the bus because she knows I love to draw. So then she's like, I want you to put the people on the bus, like what's really going on. So I right. like anxiety might be right behind me and then eating disorder. There might be anger further back. So she's like, I want you to check in with the people that are right behind you on the bus, yelling at you, yelling at you. Right. And like, I love that. So it's like what you're saying. And then it's going, you know, going within and saying, you know, okay, anxiety, why are you yelling today? What's going on? Usually it's fear. I mean, most, right. most of the time it's fear, but then when you go under the fear, it's. And you know, I, I, I love the, the message that you're giving. Cause I, it's, it's like, yes, insight is important to all of this. It's, it's a framework, right. In which we can understand stuff, but the, the skills to be able to regulate ourselves and be able to develop, I, I guess, just skill, coping skill, healthy coping skills are so important for us to to move through it, right? We need both of those things together. And getting those skills is, is, is hard. It can be challenging, time-consuming, but worth it. You know what? I, I'm first today, and it's not selfish. But I come first. You know, if my kids, if I'm doing something, mom, mom, okay, let me finish what I'm doing. If I'm meditating, you know, you need to leave me until I'm done. If you see my thing on the screen, it used to be, mom, what? Okay, I'm coming. Everything is not an emergency. Right. right. Yes, a true emergency. Of course, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. But I, in my mind, I think everything was an emergency. And I have to be a good mom. So if the kids need me, I have to drop everything I'm doing and be there right now. No. Right. You know what a good mom is? Taking care of myself and letting my kids see that I'm taking care of myself. Because that's a healthier role model than just dropping because I'm not important. You're more important than me. That's not true. Right. And learning We're to all do important. that. And, and learning that that's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah, there was a, I, I had heard something somewhere, I think it was a parenting book or, or something, and I, I don't know where, I'll have to do some research, but basically the same was, or the title was, put on your own oxygen mask first, right. just like they tell you in the, in the videos of on when you're on the airplane, put on your own oxygen mask first, then help your kids put on theirs, otherwise you're not going to make it. And if you think about that, so think about you're putting the oxygen mask on everyone else and it's that feeling of, oh, I can't breathe. That's yep. how I was living. I can't breathe. Well, how can you breathe when 
I'm not filling myself. My therapist used to always say, your coffee cup is running over. I'm just spilling over the sides. I'm a freaking volcano pouring over the sides, but I'm not refueling. Right. Now yeah. I have to refuel first, then I can help you. Because if, if, if I don't have anything inside of me, how can I give? Yeah, I can't. absolutely. You can't. You can't. You'll, you'll wear out. Well, Faith, we're, we're running up on our time. And I want to thank you so much for just putting your story out there so that other people can hear that there's possibility, that there's change, that there's hope. And even when we are in the darkest of places, we can move through that process. And so I want to, I want to thank you so much. So before you go, one of the questions I'd love to ask is someone out there, maybe is listening, maybe they're in a similar situation that you're in, or you have been in, and you can tell them one thing, what would you want to tell them? You're not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. You are not Love alone. It. And to reach out. And I know it's hard. And, you know, with self-care, you know, I've learned to set boundaries and, you know, that's a whole other thing. But we choose, and this really sucks, but we can choose like how we look at life. I'm sorry. It does. It does. Like, it's hard. It just yeah. sucks. Like, well, I want to feel bad, but I don't want to feel bad. But why do I feel bad? Okay. Let's stop with all these stories because we're like on the little, the little wheel. And I, I think when you're stuck in any addiction, you're just on that wheel chasing your tail. Stop. Somebody does understand. And it's finding somebody you trust. I don't care if you go to my website and reach out to me and I'll lead you like to a place to find help. There is help and people do understand. You are not alone. Thank you so much. Where can people find you then? If they wanna... So my website is faithalicia.com. And I do put all the different types of eating disorders, but I like to put out there that again, no two eating disorders are alike. So if you read characteristics, well, that's not me. We, you know, right. We all have different, you know, our eating disorders are all different. And also on Facebook, Faith Alicia. And I just started a YouTube. So that's Faith Alicia too, just with like meditations. And awesome. I did a, inspirational singing video, which is why the eating disorder voice was screaming the other day when we were talking, because I put myself out there and the vulnerability had the eating disorder screaming. You oh, can't yeah. do that. You're going to be judged. People are going to rip you <laughs> apart. Okay. Just uh, stop totally people. Thank totally you. Eating disorder for sharing. No, yep. you have totally to help someone be of service to others. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. I will put all the links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Thank you so much. Thank Faith, you for so much on. for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. You can find all the links at theaddictedmind.com. And don't forget, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you're getting a lot out of it, and you enjoy listening, please think about writing a review in iTunes for all the people who have done that. I really appreciate it. I do read them, and that's meaningful to me. 
And it also helps people find the podcast as well. So thank you. And if you want to continue the conversation online, think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addictive Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-to for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.